We're back for another week and another episode. 211's Baseball Talk, episode 65, talks all about the Blue Jays and Angels, the Blue Jays and Yankees, MLB's replay system and does it need an overhaul and a little bit more. Stay tuned. 211's Baseball Talk, episode 65, starts after this. That was Valence by Infinite walking you into episode 65 of 211's Baseball Talk. My name is Dylan Baker. Joined beside me for another week is Chris Baker. Uh, my dad, how you doing today? I am uh, loving life in this new Zoom filmed 211's Baseball Talk world. But uh, also very happy at the walk-off win today for the Jays. Yeah, Bo Bichette with a walk-off home run. A two-homer day for Bo. We'll get into that in today's episode. I got to be honest, I'm loving the setup. You got you in the background there. It's the first time we're seeing this setup on this podcast, and uh, it looks great. Yeah, it does. It looks great. I think it's awesome to have video to go along with it, so that's pretty exciting. Yeah, excited to bring you all the 211's Baseball Talk content you deserve on uh, all podcast platforms and YouTube as well. So without further ado, let's get into it. A little bit different than last time. We'll quickly go over the series and then talk about it after we recap both versus doing separate recaps for each one. Getting into things, following a 3-3 three and three start to the season, the Blue Jays played host to the Angels in Dunedin for their first home games of the season, if you can even call them that. Thursday night was the home away from Dome opener, and the Blue Jays sent Ross Stripling to the mound against Griffin Canning and the Halos. Right away, you could tell the whole series was going to be a slugfest. A lot of power bats in those lineups as the Angels got on the board first following an Anthony Rendon RBI single in the top of the first inning. Bottom half, Teoscar Hernandez drove home Kevin Biggio on a single. Then Vlad Guerrero Jr. hit a two-run laser home run to right center to make it 3-1 to one early. In the top of the second, doubles from Jose Iglesias and David Fletcher tied the game at three. Uh, no scoring from then until the fifth when Mike Trout absolutely clobbered a ball into an elementary school for a home run to give the Angels a 4-3 to three lead. Bottom of the sixth, the Jays would get that run back on a solo shot from Kevin Biggio, making it 4-4, while Vlad Guerrero Jr. drove home another on a solo, uh, pardon me, drove home another to give the Jays a 5-4 lead. In the seventh inning with Jordan Romano on the mound, Shoyo Tani single to score the inherited David, Fl- or pardon me, Dexter Fowler. A lot of D and Fs in these uh, Angel lineups <laughs> to score once again, and the game was tied and eventually off to extra innings. No runs in the 10th, despite the runner on second, but in the 11th, the Angels capitalized on a this time David Fletcher blooper to score two and take a seven to five lead. They would win by that score. Game two, David Phelps was the opener for TJ Zoik versus Andrew Heaney and the Halos. Uh, and in the second inning with Zoik on the mound, things were already beginning to go south. A fielder's choice and an error for David Fletcher scored the first Angels run. And with no outs recorded on the play, the bases were loaded. Shoei Otani took full advantage and had a bases-clearing double that gave the Angels a 4-0 lead early. No scoring until the fifth with Zoik still on the mound. Otani went deep to make it 5-0. And not long after that, Jared Walsh went deep with a two-run shot to make it 7-0. The Jays would score a run on a wild pitch later on. Uh, Saturday's game was delayed for two hours and 40 minutes, but the Jays had Stephen Matz on the mound versus the veteran lefty Jose Quintana. And after being embarrassed the night before, the Jays came to play on Saturday. Right away, a strange play to get things going as Danny Jansen grounded into a fielder's choice that looked like Jonathan Davis may have interfered with Jose Iglesias at second base. The Angels challenged for slide interference. The Blue Jays 
double challenge uh, for uh, the fact that Iglesias didn't touch second base. Eventually, the Jays were right. He didn't have contact with the base when he made the catch. After a lengthy review, they won the challenge, and everybody was safe. A bunt single that was the first hit in the big league career of Josh Palacios loaded the bases. Bo Bichette walked home a run. Vladdy followed that with a walk. Bases were loaded for Randall Gritchick at that point. He hit a bases-clearing double to make it 6-0 Blue Jays in the second inning. Santiago Espinal made it 7-0 on a single of his own. Uh, bottom of the third, the Jays wanted more. Bo Bichette had two RBI double to make it 9-0. Then Vladdy drove him home to make it 10-zip in the third inning. In the top of the fourth, Anthony Rendon went deep to make it 10-1. Bottom half, Palacios had an RBI single, the first RBI of his young career, to make it 11-1. Bo Bichette had a two-run double a second of the game. Vlad followed that up with an RBI single, and all of a sudden, it's 14-1 Blue Jays. Nothing until the eighth uh, when Joe Panic singled home a run to make it 15-1. Sunday's game was scheduled to be a Tanner Roark start, but it was rained out. After they announced the rain out, Charlie Montoyo announced that Tanner Roark would be pitching out of the bullpen in the future with the return of Robbie Ray for the series against the Yankees. Now, we won't dive into that Blue Jays-Angels series too much just yet, but quickly, uh, and I know the notes are in here before anything has happened with Roark moving to the bullpen. He didn't end up pitching in the Yankees series. Were you, were you happy? Were you relieved to see Charlie Montoyo to make that move and send Tanner Roark to the bullpen? I think both. I was very happy and relieved to see Charlie Montoyo make that move. Uh, You know, I understood why he was in the rotation to start the season. Obviously, the injury bug has bit the Blue Jays. Uh, Will he come back based on recent injuries we've just seen? Uh, I don't know. And I don't know if you would plan to talk about that. But, you know, there's a certain risk that he's going to end up back in the rotation. We'll never see him in the bullpen, uh, at least not yet, uh, just because of injury. But again, that's the only reason he was in the rotation in the first place. It it was a mess, um, an absolute mess. uh, And, you know, he shouldn't ever be in the rotation. Shouldn't even be on the team, let's be honest. But at least he's there as a long man if needed in a blowout series or a blowout game. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. Tanner Roark, I think, is is past his prime, to say the very least, in his big league career. And uh, we'll get into the series against the Royals and the possible injury implications and what we might see from the Blue Jays, potentially a Tanner Roark start. We'll get into that after we talk about the Blue Jays and Yankees series. But yes, I was very relieved to see the Tanner Roark was out of the starting rotation. He's got an ERA of like 15 after just one <laughs> start. And uh you know, the rain delay, I think, benefited the Blue Jays. So Monday night, it was Jays-Yankees as Robbie Ray took the hill versus Garrett Cole. Early on, the Jays had something going as back-to-back singles from Bo Bichette and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. got runners on for Randall Gritchick, who grounded out to make it one nothing. No scoring until the top of the fifth as Ray and Cole were both cruising until Rugnet Odor got the first Yankees hit which Kyle Higashioka followed up with a two-run home run but was just a poorly placed pitch from Robbie Ray. After that, it was some quality relief pitching from Trent Thornton that led to a Ryan Baraki appearance, um, and he allowed a home run to Kyle Higashioka as well to make it 3-1. to one. After that, the Yankees were able to shut the Jays down the rest of the way to win it by a score of 3-1. to one. Uh, It was a controversial call for the last strike of that game against Rowdy Telez. Uh, game two... Uh, Jamison Tyone versus Hyunjin Ryu on the mound for the Blue Jays. Jays got the scoring going early with a two RBI single from Josh Palacios, who has played his way into an everyday role for this Blue Jays squad. We'll talk about that a little bit, uh, not too long from now. Bottom of the third, Randall Gritchick sack fly made it three zip. And bottom of the fourth, Marcus Simeon went deep to make it four nothing. Vladdy then drove home Bobochet to make it five nothing. The next inning, Rowdy Telez went deep. He hit his first home run of the season after hitting his uh, or getting his first hit not long before that to make it six, nothing. 
A Rube Neto door ground out in the seventh made it six to one. And that was the end of the night for Ryu, who pitched six and two thirds, seven strikeouts and one unearned run. Uh, in the eighth, things got scary as David Phelps was hit by a 107 mile an hour pitch in the back that led Jordan Romano to come in. He hadn't pitched since the Thursday game against the angels and had to come in spontaneously with injury there. So Romano came into the game, allowed a two RBI signal to Giancarlo Stanton to make it six to three. A base running mistake by Gary Sanchez got Julian Merriweather, who relieved Romano out of it, having just thrown two pitches. That second pitch, though, he did spike, and that would cause problems for him uh, in the coming hours. As uh, in the ninth inning, a pardon me, bottom of the eighth, a huge insurance run as Josh Palacio scored on a Bo Bichette sack fly. In the ninth, surprisingly, no Merriweather. We would discover later it was hip discomfort that's landed him on the IL now for the next 10 days. Um, and but Tim Meza did close it out to secure a Blue Jays win seven to three. In the rubber match, it was a replay of game two of the season on the bump as Corey Kluber was set to take on Ross Stripling. So we thought. Uh, it was announced pregame by Aaron Boone, actually, that TJ Zoic would be starting in place of Stripling, who had forearm tightness. Uh, in the top of the first, Aaron Judge hit a solo shot to make it one nothing Yankees. Bottom of the second, though, with Rowdy Telez on after a hit, Alejandro Kirk crushed his first home run of the season and his first hit of the season to put the Blue Jays ahead 2-1. to one. In the bottom of the third, the Jays extended their lead after a home run from Bo Bichette to make it 3-1. to one. Top of the fourth, Aaron Judge went deep again to make it 3-2. Then a two-RBI single from Gio Urshela made it 4-3 Yankees. I won't lie, at that point, I thought the game was over. I thought the Yankees would secure it and lock down the win and the series victory. However, a wild pitch in the sixth and a base running bl- after a base-running blunder in the fifth scored the tying run for the Blue Jays. Then it was Bo Bichette in the bottom of the ninth that walked it off for the Jays as they took two out of three from the Yankees. Overall, the homestand is now completed. What were your thoughts on how the Jays played? No, I thought they played very well under the circumstances. You know, it can't be easy playing in a spring in their spring training facility, but a minor league facility overall. Um, you know, I, I said to you earlier today that I'm excited for the Kansas City series just to not have to look at TD Ballpark again. Yeah. And it's not to say they haven't done a great job at TD Ballpark, um, but again, it reminds me of spring training. It makes me feel like spring training, and I worried about the environment and and trying to win in that environment. And um, you know, we didn't see the greatest uh, Angel series, but it, you know. I mean, obviously the last game that we saw was good. Um, but I mean, you know, I think overall it was a good homestand, um, especially the way it ends. I mean, uh, you know, anytime you could take two out of three from the Yankees in two series in a row uh, against them, you know, that is huge for the 19 games you're going to play them this year to take, you know, four of those already is, is a, uh, is a good Testament to how the Jays may play this season. Don't pay attention to the stand, the standings, you know, having red Sox at the top. Uh, they don't have a roster that can sustain that. I don't think. And, and, you know, I think the Jays will, you know, despite a rougher start to the season, which I know we'll talk about later um, is, you know, the, the series was great uh, with the Yankees. I thought again, like you, I thought the game was probably over today uh, when it was four, three Yankees, but uh, you know, you can't ever count these guys out. You just can't. And, uh, and it was great to see Bo uh, hit that dinger to, to close it out and to walk it off. Um, and it was great to see Kirk get his first hit of the season and what a first hit it was with a, a dinger himself. So, um, you know, it's uh, it was a good series overall. I thought in a good homestand, give or take. <laughs> yeah. It didn't start off too great with that angel series. I mean, the first game was closer than we give it credit for. I mean, it went to extra innings 
It was a tight game. It was just not a great fundamental game from the Blue Jays, and Ross Stripling was beat up on the mound. Um, but yeah, so it was an okay homestand. They go three and three. Uh, it was supposed to be seven games. Obviously, the Sunday game was rained out. You mentioned something about not being able or maybe not being able to win in that environment. Keep in mind, though, they played a lot of their home games last season in a minor league ballpark in what was arguably a worse facility because they didn't have the high performance center, whatever they call it down in Dunedin. They've got there now. I believe in this blue Jays team. And I think that no matter where they play, as long as they have the talent and they keep giving it hundred percent on the field, every game, I, I don't think it matters where they play and they seem to have that same feeling. So even though Dunedin is certainly not an ideal place to play big league, regular season games, they played in Buffalo last year. So I'm not too worried. Yeah, I agree with that. I think Buffalo, as far as, you know, the look overall of the stadium looked a little more major league ready. Um, but again, you know, I don't, I don't sense, I mean, you look at Val Vladi's defense, uh, he's obviously taking everything very, very seriously now. What a difference there. Um, and, and obviously Dunning didn't change that. We saw some great, uh, great defense from him and obviously his hitting is the, really the big story this year, but, uh, yeah, no, it was an overall great, uh, a good homestand. I, I won't go great, but it was a good homestand. And, um, and again, anytime you can take two out of three from the Yankees and do that two series in a row, you're off to a great start. Absolutely. And I think the Jays are okay with that. Obviously you don't want to go 500 on every homestand, but uh, you know what? You're playing in a minor league ballpark. You're playing in Dunedin. It's not a bad way to start the season. You know who did have a bad start to the season? Rowdy Telez. He started to turn things around in the past two games or so, but uh, he started off pretty poorly. Teoscar Hernandez has COVID right now and George Springer is still out with the quad injury. So that's opened up some more playing time for Rowdy than maybe we would have expected. If George Springer were to return right now, which obviously he's not going to, there's still a series in Kansas city that he's already ruled out for. And this is the one in Boston after that is he's getting live ABs uh, at the alternate training site. Where do you see this Rowdy versus Randall Gritchick competition? Because Randall is an outfielder that doesn't really fit in this crowded blue Jays outfield. As it sits right now, who do you think gets the bulk of the ABs as designated hitter or, or, or wherever they're playing uh, between Rowdy and Randall? Well, I think it remains to be seen because, you know, we have to see these two series come up. But, I mean, if you were to do it today, and let's say Springer came back today, then for sure you give them all to Gritchick or most of them, right? I mean, Gritchick hasn't always performed over the years. Um, you know, he's having a... a warmer start to his season i would uh, give than... him a hot start i wouldn't say warmer he's hitting over 300 he's done really well yeah yeah and he's done that before though and my my point i guess is the more he gets in there the more he gets a chance to fail um and and and, and, and you know he hasn't always but he mostly does so um you know and rowdy has proven you know that he can heat up over the season so it's a tough call because knowing he's off to a terrible start and it is a terrible start for for rowdy things are not rowdy right now uh in, in blue jay land but uh but i mean from a gritchick perspective yeah you give the guy who's hot the the at bats i mean that's just how you're going to have to play this and i think it will potentially change down the road as he cools off um but I don't think right now you would give much of that playing time to Rowdy Tellez. Yeah, I agree with you. I think Rowdy's had a tough start to the season and he had the home run a couple of nights ago and then the, a couple of hits in this afternoon's ball game. Of course, this is being recorded as I checked the date here on April 14th, uh, just after the Blue Jays took the rubber match of the Blue Jays-Yankees series. So 
latest results from Rowdy are looking pretty decent, but overall in the season, he's, uh, he's scuffling a little bit. Um, we mentioned briefly that Teoscar Hernandez has COVID right now. Josh Palacios has performed quite a bit. What have your thoughts been on Palacios' performance in the big league so far? He's been awesome. He's been awesome. You know, I'm excited for to see what he can do. Again, this is probably another case of nobody knows him. So it's hard to pitch to him right now. And as people learn him and see the scouting reports and things like that, he may go through some sophomore slumps and things like that. But uh, right now he's, uh, he's having great, great at bats. Uh, obviously he's, his results have been there too, but he's having great at bats overall, even in the times where he doesn't end up on base. And so, you know, he's been pretty impressive. I mean, I don't, I don't think there's any other way to look at it. He's been very impressive and you keep giving him the playing time until he either cools off or the pitching across the league figures him out. Yeah. And I mean, I think that he's going to be gone once Tay Oscar and George Springer are healthy, but for the moment, I mean, I don't see a reason not to give him all the playing time he can get because he's played very well. He's been very impressive. And all reports out of the alternate trading site in Rochester last year were that Josh Palacios had become, had propelled himself into the top outfield prospect in the Blue Jays system. And he's showing why right now. I mean, I don't think he has an extra base hit, but he's getting on base. He's, he's shown off his speed. He's an electric player. And like you mentioned, he's been having great at-bats. He's been working counts. He's been a guy to watch. I think once one of Springer and Hernandez uh, gets back if the Jays are wanting to carry an extra outfielder on top of the of a Grichik for example who maybe doesn't fit into your starting outfield uh, they've got to carry Josh Palacios um, and instead of Jonathan Davis right now because Davis doesn't have a hit I think Palacios is here to stay until both Teoscar and George Springer are healthy. I think George Springer is going to come back before Teoscar Hernandez with what I'm hearing right now. I would not be shocked if Springer is uh, back for the series at the Trop, not, or pardon me, the series at the Trop next weekend, uh, but we'll see what happens there. But for now, I mean, you got to keep Palacios in the bigs. Yep, I agree. I agree. I don't know how you can send him down. Um, you know, it was almost a surprise that they didn't, uh, not because he didn't deserve to be here, but just the fact that you would have thought that he would have sort of trumped Espinal in that that scenario. But uh, but again, he didn't. Uh, he did prove obviously that he had uh, had had the the ability and still has the ability as he's been going so far. Um, you know, and yeah, you got to keep giving him the playing time. I mean, it's the it's the guys that get the hits that get you the wins, and if he's one of them, he's going to have to be out there. But I agree with you. Once uh, once Tay Oscar's back, once once Springer's back, I think you know you'll see him sent down. But again, he'll be back very quickly. I agree. I think if there's an injury in the outfield, Josh Palacios is the guy you go to because of how well he's performed in the big leagues and how well he performed at the alternate training site last season. Um, The Blue Jays so far this season, uh, there's been quite the trend that the bullpen has been pitching really well. Whenever their starters run into trouble, the bullpens come in, whether that's Trent Thornton or David Phelps, they come in and they pitch very well, but it's kind of a worrying trend seeing that the rotation is not as strong. That said, the three lefties the Jays seem to have confidence in, Robbie Ray, Hyunjin Ryu, and Steven Matz, how important is getting Robbie Ray back because that relieves some of Tanner Roark's burden uh, on the team? <laughs> it's incredibly important burden. It's true, but it, it's just funny. You poor Roark. I mean, you know, I, feel bad. I feel bad. I feel bad. He's had, had a good, good career. career. But Mr. Yeah. Diesel Engine, who's very confident in, his, in himself, yeah, the tank is has empty. to perform. Yeah, like if you're exactly. going to call yourself a diesel engine and then go out there and throw up a 15 ERA first week of the season, 
first of all, never nickname last year. Kids, if you're watching yeah. and listening, don't nickname yourself. Let somebody so, else give you a nickname. Yeah. I mean, it's not your yeah. spot. I don't go yeah. around calling myself whatever I want. If somebody gives me a nickname, maybe <laughs> I go by the nickname. But come on, like exactly, yeah. You never want to. You never want to nickname yourself. Because um, this is what happens. It backfires on you. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's true. And and you know, I think the lefties have been good. Obviously, Ryu was lights out today. Uh, again, as you said, being recorded April fourteenth. Um, yesterday yesterday sorry um but uh you know i think that uh ray having ray back is big it, it really is big but but having mats perform well is going to be the biggest thing for the blue jays this season now that being said that's three out of five spots in the rotation there's a hole and it's a big hole and you know it's it's a hurtful hole in the rotation it is disturbing it is disturbing to see what has gone on in the rotation. And, uh, and you know, the bullpen, again, like you said, it's been lights out. It's been magic. It's been great. And that's the only reason we're not way under 500 right now. But, um, but I mean, the, the, the rotation needs some help for sure. It's coming. It's at the alternate training site, I think. You know, I don't think it's coming from elsewhere outside of the organization. I think it's right there, though. And it'll be interesting to see how that, uh, that plays out in the coming weeks. Yeah, absolutely. I think the two guys that, that plug that hole are Nate Pearson and Thomas Hatch, and it just so happens that they're both hurt right now. I think if, if they're both healthy, it's a very different conversation about the starting rotation. Now, one thing that uh, former guest on the show, Andrew Stoughton, uh, posted today was that the service time manipulation deadline is coming up, and maybe we see Alec Manoa. I doubt it, but if they want to save his service time, uh, he just has to stay at the alternate site through this weekend and then he's good to go. Maybe we see Manoa come up, but that might be uh, being a little overly optimistic because I don't think he's going to be making his big league debut until at least later in the season this year. But uh, yes, the, there's a big hole, two spots in the rotation that are very important. And Steven Matz, like you mentioned, he's pitched very well. I think he can be the difference maker. You kind of know what you're going to get out of Robbie Ray because he's put up consistent numbers over the years. They haven't always been great. They're kind of middle of the road. He walks a lot of guys. If Pete Walker can figure him out, that's awesome for the Blue Jays. Steven Matz is the wild card. He could be the difference maker for the Blue Jays down the road. And obviously you want Pearson and Hatch to come back ASAP. Uh, Moving on to a segment that we're starting this week. We're going to carry it through every week uh, this season. It is the best, the two best, best pitcher, best position player, and the worst, the worst overall player from the past week in Blue Jays baseball. Now, I will go first for, with the pitcher, the best pitcher of the week. I think that if you, if we had started this segment last week, Julian Merriweather gets to be my best pitcher. But without a doubt this week, best pitcher, Hyunjin Ryu for me uh, with the Blue Jays, a phenomenal start against the Yankees. And uh, he's been quite the ace for the Jays ever since signing that contract before last season. Awesome to see him put up the results that he has uh, over his Blue Jays career so far and over the last week. But I'll send it over to you. Who is your best pitcher? from the last week in Blue Jays baseball? Well, I'd have to, as you said, last week I would have gone Merriweather as well, um, and hopefully he's okay pretty soon to, to be back, um, obviously at least 10 days now. But uh, but I would go probably with, uh, I would go with... Ooh, you could go with Ryu. I can go with the same guy as you because that's where I was going to go. But then, yeah, I think it's definitely Jordan Romano. No, I'm kidding. It's definitely not. Um, no, Jordan will be. He'll come around. He'll come around. Maybe shave the beard or something. But, uh, but I have to go Ryu again. I don't. I can't think of anybody that's done any better than Ryu. Um, and you know, especially in that start last night, 
the 13th of April, uh, for those watching later on after the recording. Um, you know, that was huge. Against the Yankees, it's always huge. If you pitch like that, you know you can pitch that like that in the playoffs, especially when you're playing the Yankees. So I got to give it to Ryu as well. Yeah, I don't think there was much competition for Hyunjin Ryu uh, in the past week in Jays baseball. We'll see in the coming days if he maintains that honor for next week or if somebody overtakes him. I'm sure we're we're going to see uh, a consistent outing from Hyunjin Ryu. Uh, maybe not as awesome as he pitched the other night, uh, but he'll be a consistent arm in the Blue Jays rotation. Best position player from the past week. I'll let you go first on this one. Well, I, I think the obvious answer uh, season so far is Vladdy, but I'm going to actually go with the 11 game hit streak man, uh, Bo Bichette. Uh, great to see. I thought he was starting off pretty slow. And then, uh, you know, obviously ever since then, he's just been hitting. And that's that's been awesome. I, I would normally give it to Vladdy, but I'm going to give it to Bo this week um, because I think he's just been been great. And obviously walking off the Yankees today just helped that even more. Yeah. And you know what? He actually, the only game he hasn't recorded a hit in this season was opening day, which is crazy because like you mentioned, it felt like he was starting off slow. And I think we actually talked about it last week that he was starting off a little slower than usual. And he's actually had an 11 game hitting streak. He's looked awesome. And I think the fact that he did walk off the Yankees certainly boosted that a little bit. We're kind of like, Oh, look at what Bo's doing. Um, but he's had a really good season so far. So I like that pick just to be different. I'm going to go with Vladdy, uh, because he's been putting up really solid ABs. He's been seeing the ball really well, working walks, laying off bad pitches. He's been look, he's been looking awesome so far this season. So Vlad Guerrero jr. Is my best hitter, uh, from the past week for the blue Jays. Now it's time for the worst, worst player on the roster from the past week, pitcher or hitter. Go ahead. Oh, that's a, uh, that's a tough one. Um, you know, obviously the easy one is Roark, but, uh, he hasn't but, played in the past week though, but so he hasn't played in the last week. So I can't go with Roark. Um, you know, I, I hate to do this to him because he is a catcher and I used to be a catcher and you're not supposed to, you don't have to hit as a catcher, but Danny Jansen, man, he's got to put the bat on that ball a little better than he has been. And, you know, um, I don't know if he's the absolute worst, but, but being a former catcher myself, I always pay closer attention, I think, to that position. Um, defensively, he's been okay. I uh, didn't like to see that ball get away the other day, but obviously Vladdy saved it by uh, that rifle to second uh, to get to that horrible running base running by uh, uh, Sanchez. But, uh, you know, I think, you know, probably Jansen could have had that ball or at least blocked that ball. Um, so I'm going to have to go with Danny this week. Uh, I apologize, Danny, if you're listening, he's probably not, but if he is, I apologize, but you got to get that back going. Absolutely. And Danny Jansen, I mean, he sounds like a really good guy to have around the clubhouse. He's an awesome defensive catcher, but like you mentioned, he's really got a swing. He's been putting up some decent at bats. He's really able to work counts, but once that count has been worked, it's either, maybe a walk or a pop out somewhere. So uh, he needs to start putting up results and not just good solid at bats. uh, If he wants to have success that said though, phenomenal with Hyunjin Ryu uh, behind the plate. My, my worst from this week, that's a tough one for me because I think everybody's performed all right. um, This past week, I'm going to have to go with cabin Biggio. 
Um, Biggio has had a tough start to the year. I mean, he's just looking at pitches that he shouldn't be. Uh, he's struggled against velocity and the fastballs. You got to hit fastballs at the big league level. And I'm not saying they're going to send Gavin Biggio down. They're not going to, he's going to turn things around, but in the past week, he's just made some questionable decisions at the plate. I think he needs to be a little bit more aggressive. I think he's, he's got to make some adjustments because right now, being an automatic out, basically, it's either a walk or an out if you're Kevin Biggio with the occasional home run at the moment. I think he's got to make some changes, and I really like Kevin Biggio. I'm a huge Kevin Biggio fan, so this pains me to say, but I do think he has been the worst Blue Jay over the past week. Yeah, defensively, he's been pretty good. But, uh, you know, I mean, he made a really nice play uh, today in the Yankee uh, Blue Jay finale. Um, but, you know, uh, you're right. I, I mean, he's definitely not... <laughs> He's not performing at the plate. Again, I agree with you. I believe in him 100%. I think he's going to get there. But uh, uh, defensively, I'll give him kudos. But uh, again, um, you know, I, I think he's got some work to do as well. Yeah, for sure. Moving on now to a broader look at the league as uh, last week seemed to be a week of controversy on Thursday afternoon, Michael Conforto of the Mets clearly leaned into a pitch uh, to walk off the Miami Marlins. Uh, It was in the strike zone and it was ruled a hit by pitch home plate umpire Ron Culpa was in the middle of his strike three call. You can, you can watch the replay. He's got his arm in the air, ready to punch him out. And then he stops once he realized it hit Michael Conforto's elbow guard. Um, the umpires got together and decided that, that it will be ruled a hit by pitch, despite the rule being that a pitch in the strike zone overrules a ball that hits a batter. Then on Sunday with the game on the line, Philadelphia Phillies third baseman Alec Bohm tagged out, tagged up, pardon me, on a fly ball to Marcelo Zuna, the Braves left fielder. He was called safe at the plate, but the Braves challenged. Looking at the play, there was no evidence, and it was in fact pretty clear that Alec Bohm never touched home plate. The call was upheld. The Braves lost that game. It was on Sunday Night Baseball, national boom, boom, TV, boom. In the- <laughs> national TV in the U.S. First dad joke of the day. All right. Yes, you have to get one in per episode at least. Um, he never touched home plate. The call was upheld, uh, and so that was quite the controversy. So I ask you this simple question: Does the MLB, pardon me, does MLB not the MLB? Does MLB? have a replay problem they do they really bombed that one uh <laughs> i gave you one i can't give you two <laughs> I mean. but they did they did uh and it was it was a mess so was the strike call uh, or lack thereof um so you know it's uh, it, it's it's a replay problem in that it's just not consistent and you have to have a consistent replay process in order to use replay in an actual regular season game. You know, how can we not have this right after that many seasons of using it? You know, you gave them a little pass in the first season of trying to get it right. You're calling up to New York, the person in New York seeing different I know that's what I'm saying. And that, but that's my whole point is that it's, it's a long time ago. There's no excuse for this. You can't get these things wrong when they're so blatantly obvious. I understand if you're, you know, overturning a close call and maybe later on we see on the the most minuscule angle that you got it wrong. I'm not going to judge even the replay folks on that, but when it's so blatantly wrong and you still uphold or overturn even a call that's wrong or that was right in the first place or whatever and and there was a a huge miss there by new york what are you gonna do like how do you explain how do you even justify being able to use replay 
if that sort of mistake happens. It's not, it's inexcusable. It's, it's not uh, acceptable at all. This is a major league sport. If it's happening in, in the youth leagues, fine. Somebody just doesn't know what they're doing, but somebody doesn't know what they're doing in a major league sport. That's pretty bad. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that the whole point of replay is to get calls, right? When you're not doing that, that's a problem. And for anybody who hasn't seen the play at the plate with Alec Bohm or anybody who is questioning what I'm about to say, go look at the breakdown by John Boy uh, and what he did with, with all that. He's great with all the breakdowns and stuff, but I really liked what he said about the Alec Bohm play. Why are we taking into account what the umpire on the field says? I'm giving him a pass because it's a very close play. The call could have gone either way. But he, why do we care what the umpire said? The whole point, we're, is we're questioning his decision. We're questioning what he said was right. Why do we care what he said? Why is it that there has to be irrefutable evidence to overturn a call? Why can't we just focus on making the most correct call? Because we're, we're replaying this call to prove or to see whether the umpire was wrong. So why do we care what his call was? Why should anybody care? We might be overturning it. There shouldn't have to be irrefutable evidence. They should focus on making the most correct call to avoid these awful mistakes. I bet you if the call on the field was out and the Phillies challenged that play, which I don't think they would have because the replay room would have seen it in touch home plate. They would have kept the call as out because it's the most correct call and it was the call on the field. That call on the field should not matter. We're questioning it altogether. Why on earth are we thinking about what the umpire said? I'm giving the, the umpire, I think it was Lance Barrett, a pass. Tough call. Tough call. The replay room should get it right. And they didn't. Yeah. And they continue to fail to do that. That's frustrating as a baseball fan. <laughs> I see that. I can see that in your response there. But uh, I agree with you 100%. You're, you're not wrong in any anything you just said. Um, you know, baseball has to start to get this right. Replay is exactly what you just said. It is to get the call right. And, and, and really, you're right. The, the umpire's call on the field should not matter except when it's so close that it could go either way. Then you go with the umpire's call. You give yeah. them that trust. But when you see a blatant daylight between the home plate and the, and the player, you know, you have to, you have to make that call the right way. As you see it on the screen, you can't worry about, am I going to upset Lance Barrett? Is that who you said it was? I believe it was Lance Barrett. Yeah. Oh, am I going to upset him? He's my buddy. Well, yeah, you are, but guess what? You got to get the call, right? Cause you're the umpire in the New York booth today and you got to get it right. Cause that's what replays for. Absolutely. And, and the thing, the umpire's job is to, is to officiate the game, to make sure the game continues moving and is played within the rules. An umpire should have zero impact on the result of a game. The umpire should just be keeping the game moving. These umpires this season, we've seen bad strike calls, questionable strike zones, that's impacting the game. The Michael Conforto call, that changed the whole game because they won the game on the hit-by-pitch that he leaned into. Umpires should be keeping the game moving. They should not change the outcome of the game. And when they start to do that, that's when there's a problem in the game. And then when replay doesn't correct it, that's an even bigger problem because you're, you're, you're showing this solution that doesn't work. 
And so I think the umpires, they, I don't know whether we need robot umps. I've, I've, I've had arguments with people on this before. I, 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 I know robot umpires are not perfect. I don't know if they would be an upgrade because I haven't followed the Atlantic league. Pardon me. I'm sorry. I didn't look at the robot umpire progress in the Atlantic league, but <laughs> I think that we need something to be fixed and whether that's replay expanding what you can challenge or, and certainly fixing the way that it is done because it is a mess. It's a pile of hot garbage right now. What MLB is rolling out there as the replay system that doesn't work. We've got to change something. And that all starts with the ML with MLB's pardon me, replay system. Yeah, you're right. It's atrocious. Um, the umpires, uh, you're so getting lasered by a robot umpire one day for what you just said about robot umpires, but it, it is, it's going to take you out. Have you seen this boy? And it's going to be your picture. It is for those who, who would be young enough to know that Terminator reference, but uh, um, yeah, I know it's not you old enough. Sorry to know that reference, but anyway, uh, robot umpires don't believe in them necessarily. I do like the human element to it, but at the same time, if you're going to implement replay, it's got to get it right. And the, did not get those plays right at all. And that's happened a lot this season already far, far too much. Yeah. And I, and like you mentioned, I can excuse that in the first year replay, maybe the first two even, but at this point, you got to get the calls right. And that's not happening right now. Yep. Anyway, moving on, couple storylines around the league. First off, Joe Musgrove threw the first no-hitter in Padres history last week. A San Diego boy, how cool was that to get the first pods no-no? That's pretty cool. I mean, you know, obviously, um, <laughs> what did I see? There was a tweet about uh, somebody asked, where do you think the next major league team should go was it you that sent me that it probably was it said it was a tweet where it said where do where do you think the next major league team should go and somebody replied pittsburgh um <laughs> and that's pretty funny because they are terrible now but it, how great is that for for musgrove to get that from being from san diego uh, their first ever no hitter, which I found that so hard to believe when I heard it, but uh, it, obviously it is true. And so, you know, what an honor, um, you know, obviously it's not really an honor when you're the one who performed it. Uh, you, you worked hard and you got there, but uh, how great to do it. Um, and he did it at home, if I'm not mistaken. No, he did it in Texas. No, he did it on the road. Yeah, that's right. Um, which is fine because there were fans there, at least. Uh, they were all catching COVID, but, uh, but there were fans. So... <laughs> You know, so welcome to Texas. But anyway, he uh, did it and, it, and I thought it was fantastic. First Padres no-no ever. Um, and, you know, Jays can talk same story with Steve. There's only been one, and it was on the road as well. But uh, uh, now they have one in San Diego. Yeah, and uh, that's pretty cool for Musgrove to be the one to do it. He's got a mural at his high school in San Diego now after throwing that first no-hitter. I mean, the Pirates, they as soon as they trade a pitcher, I mean, he's successful. Tyler Glass now with the Rays, just pitched seven and two-thirds, struck out 14. Garrett Cole went to Houston, elite. Went to New York, still elite. Now Musgrove throws a no-hitter. I mean, who's next? We'll find out. Uh, but yeah, fun fact, question for you. Who drafted Joe Musgrove? Uh, I'm going to say Alex Anthopoulos. You are correct. It was Alex Anthopoulos and the Toronto Blue Jays who drafted Joe Musgrove. Um, and do you know who they trade? They traded him to Houston. Do you know who it was for? Jay Happ. That is correct. I don't know if you've done your research on this. Because I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't tell you about this before the show. <laughs> I didn't plan on bringing it up, but that is correct. They traded Joe Old Musgrove. Old dad's still got a few tricks up his sleeve. <laughs> they traded uh, Joe Musgrove to the Houston. knowledge left. Yeah, they traded Joe Musgrove to Houston in a package for Jay Happ. 
Um, I personally would rather see Joe Musgrove still in a Blue Jays uniform today versus Jay. I mean, Jay Happ was a big part of the success for the Blue Jays in 2016. Um, but yeah, I mean, tough, tough trade to make. Then Houston dealt him in the Garrett Cole trade to Pittsburgh. Uh, but yeah, so, so Joe Musgrove originally drafted by the blue Jays and had they had him now, maybe he's got the next Jays no hitter, but who knows? Uh, he's certainly been on a trajectory to success in San Diego as a lot of these pitchers have been and, uh, and good for Joe getting the first Padres no hitter last storyline. I want to talk about, I'm not sure if you've been following it, Akil Badu, he is fantastic. Picked up in the Rule 5 draft uh, by the Detroit Tigers from the Minnesota Twins. His first MLB game, I believe he had a walk-off home run. He had a triple. He's got a double. He's, he's, he's doing it with his parents in the crowd. It's awesome to see. Akil Badu now has four home runs. It, I, I'm patiently waiting on Twitter every day for the daily Akil Badu home run. What a great story this guy has been, and congratulations to Akil Badu. Yeah, I have not seen much of this story. Um, I have heard the name. Uh, I suspect based on what you've just said, I'm going to hear a lot more of this name, uh, Akil Badu, but uh, good for him. I mean, that's that's amazing to come up and do so well um, and and be a Rule 5 guy. We've seen that before. I mean, and, you know, it's it's not often that we see that, but there are, there are the odd Rule 5 guys that come up. Aaron Hill was one of them for the Blue Jays, did very, very well for many Wasn't years. Was George Bell a Rule 5 guy too? I'm pretty sure. George Bell was to uh you know so you you do see it it's not often but you do see it and good for Akil Badu uh for being one of those guys at least so far yeah it's been awesome to see uh and follow Akil Badu's story seems like a really good guy and uh happy to see he's uh He's had success in Detroit so far. This will do it for episode 65 of 211's Baseball Talk. We appreciate you tuning in, whether that was on your favorite podcast platform or on YouTube. We'll be back next Thursday to recap the latest Blue Jays series. Pardon me, next Friday, actually. We are a day late next week uh, to recap. And a dollar short. Not a dollar short. We're a day late, though. uh, (laughs) We recap the Royals and Red Sox series. Thank you very much for tuning in, and we'll see you then.